life is just about change, right? Constantly. No matter how much we want to keep our lives constant and steady and the same, things change. Yeah, it doesn't work. Absolutely not. And I, I'm kind of somebody who thrives on change, right? And, and, I, and I do in a lot of ways. Um, age has mitigated that a little bit. I'm not quite as receptive to change as I used to be. But we had, um, we've just, Mark and I just made a whole bunch of life changes all at the same time. Um, I had been um, in a job for a couple of years that um, paid really well um, and was rewarding in the challenging work that I was um, asked to do. Um, but it was also very stressful and very frustrating um, to work there. I was putting in 50, 60 hours a week on a regular basis. Um, we were doing very um, work that had a lot of high-level visibility, if you will, with executives and things, um, helping with mergers, company mergers, and some other stuff. So it was just there was just a lot of stress involved. And I just I had decided last year that I'd had enough. Right, it was time to make a change. The money was good, but I was but it was just it was making me miserable. Right, and it's not worth it. Um, and I kept praying about it, and Margaret was praying about it, and we were talking about it, and we just, we knew something had to change. So in November, I was able to pull the trigger on a career change, and I, I tell you what, it has been a blessing from God, okay? My stress level is like non-existent. Um, we ended up, we decided to sell our house, another life change, right, that we were in for 20 years, um, move into an apartment here in McKinney. And it turned out to have been an absolute blessing, right? And I can't tell you that it was all easy. I can't tell you that it was all smooth sailing the whole way through. Um, I can't tell you that it wasn't kind of scary, right? Because it was at times. But we both, during this whole process, we both had a piece about it that could only have come from God, right? That's the only place that that kind of a piece had, could come from. And what that has taught me, one of the things that I, I, I've known, but that it's reinforced for me, is that the key to staying in balance in life is um, with having Jesus as the foundation, right? Jesus Christ is the, um, the foundation of balance in life. During all this change, right, during all the change that life can bring, you have to remember that no matter what else changes, you yourself are complete, whole, and perfect in Jesus Christ. So we talked a few weeks ago about being content. And being content in no matter what circumstances that you're in. And I am convinced that we can be content with grace alone. Right? God says, I have given you everything that you need. Well, does that mean you have all the money you think you need or all the food you think you need? or all the, No, it's all the grace. That is everything God says that you need that I have given you. And no matter what our circumstances are, where we've come from, right, we are walking um, with God. I want to read um, from, we're in Corinthians chapter 1. And in verse 4, Paul says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, 
in all your speaking and all your knowledge because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. And we have this foundation of grace that we build our lives on. That is kind of, that is the rock, right? Is Jesus Christ is the rock we build our lives on. And then upon that, right, everything else kind of rests. And so Paul says, hey, you were given grace in Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. But on that now, we're going to supplement that with some gifts, right? And Paul tells the Corinthians, you've been given everything that you need to be successful. You've got grace and you've got gifts from God that you're to use in his service. And that you are perfect um, just the way you are. Every church has everything it needs to minister to a community, right? God's going to give, provide every talent, every ability um, that a body of Christ would need to serve the surrounding community. Whether you're 17 or 71, God has granted you something to use in his service. And don't tell me it's not significant, right? Don't tell me it's not important. Don't tell me you don't have anything right, that you can do, because I, I don't believe that for a second, right? Everything that we do for other people in his name can affect them in a positive way. Um, when I was a student at Nebraska Christian College, um, I had a student ministry in a small church um, in Ewing, Nebraska. And Ewing, Nebraska, if you've ever been in through the Midwest, is, well, it's like, kind of like West Texas. It's one of those towns that you blink and Right, you've already passed it. It's about 300, 400 people, and um, so this church kind of survived. Real small church, but they've kind of they always survive on student ministers, right? They had for years, always had somebody there, um, and so they were very patient with um, young, inexperienced preachers, and they had an accompanist. And bless her heart, to me, I mean, this is the one she sticks out in my mind of all the people that were there. Um, her name was Elsie. She was 75 if she was a day. It might have been closer to 80. Um, she was legally blind and had been the accompanist, accompanist there for, I mean, literally her whole life. I mean, she was always there. And one of my challenges was I had to plan the service, okay? Um, and Elsie, God bless her, right, she was legally blind, so she couldn't read music. So I could only pick songs that she knew, that she had memorized over the years. I, I'm okay with that. Unfortunately, the downside was I didn't know any of them. <laughs> so we, we kind of muddled through, you know, as best we could, singing these um, hymns, you know, that I had just, I'd never even heard. Um, and you might say, well, that's what a, what a wonderful gift, right, that she's had this gift, musical ability um, all her life and be able to serve her church. Um, but as that gift diminishes, right, or the ability to use that gift diminishes, right, with her eyesight and ability to learn new music and all of that, right, she kind of gets stuck in this one place. You might think, well, it's a little discouraging, right, because it, she doesn't, probably doesn't feel like she has as much impact, right, as she used to. Um, but Music was not, in my opinion, Elsie's greatest gift because she would come up to me after the service um, and she would just, she would literally 
um, every so often grabbed me by the lapels. I, I had to wear a, suit and, a coat and tie back then. Um, the dean of students would get on us if we didn't. Um, <laughs> so she would grab me by my coat lapels and say, Chris, you really picked me up and shook me this morning with that sermon. I'm like, okay, I'll see. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. And I, I think she really, man, I mean, I, she would not lie. Elsie, she, bless her heart, she would not lie. Um, I think she was probably being a little bit more exaggerating about it, how good it was, than she could have. Um, but that was her blessing, right, was the gift, her gift of encouragement. She was able to take a young or inexperienced, I wasn't necessarily young at the time, but an inexperienced preacher and encourage him, right, to continue on the next week, even if things weren't probably as good as they could have been. Um, there was one Sunday, or a couple of Sundays, where she came up to me, and I'm waiting, and she looked down and says, and remember, I was, um, uh, if you don't know, I was a Marine, in the Marine Corps for 10 years, and this was right after I got out of the Marine Corps, and she said, oh, Chris, your shoes are so shiny. She says, I'm so embarrassed. Mine just, uh, mine are so, so, they just, oh, they're embarrassing. And she walked off, and I thought, sermon wasn't that good this week. We tend to measure our gifts, right, our impact by some arbitrary measure, right, in our heads. Um, some things are not big or small, or some things are insignificant and not significant. But you cannot measure the impact of any single one gift that God has given you, right? You don't know what it's going to do for somebody else, right? Elsie had this huge talent for music that she used for years um, to great effect, and yet the one that impacted me the most was her um, ability to encourage encourage me. So in Christ, right, you have balance. And just as you are perfect the way you are, it's not for you. Okay? What God has perfected in you is not for you. What we have to do is make sure that we give these talents back to God. Right? And there are plenty of needs right here within these walls. Um, just, you know, in the pews uh, among you. But if you're spending all your time here and inside your house, right, kind of shuttling between church and the inside of your house, I'm, I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong, folks, okay? Um, everyone has needs all around you, all around the community, right? Your neighbors, your family, everybody has needs, right, and can use um, your gifts and what you're doing. Um, it gives your gift hospitality, right? Host, invite some neighbors for a get-together. Um, do you have gifts for finance or money management? Um, at one church I was at, they um, one couple hosted a uh, uh, financial gifts or financial benefit seminar, right? Financial uh, planning seminar for, you know, young couples or, or just people who needed help, right? And they'd open it up to the community and try and serve those people and help them out with their finances, right? And the problem is getting to know people, um, especially today. Uh, even when I was growing up, you know, in the 70s when I was a kid, um, kids were running up and down the streets playing, you know, you're out until the street lamps turn on, right? You guys know the whole, whole deal. Um, and it just, people would work out in the front yard or sit on the porch or, I was Midwestern, so Midwestern, boy, so that tells me anything. 
Um, but it doesn't happen that way anymore, right? And we fall prey to the same thing, right? We, when, when we owned our house, we would drive up, we'd pull in our driveway, or you pull in your garage, and you go straight into the house, and he sees you again for 24 hours, right? Or 12 hours until it's time to head out for work, and then they just see you driving by. And we kind of get into these walled fortresses um, that we can't break through, right? Our kids are playing Xbox. They're glued in front of the TV. Yeah, I was glued in front of the TV too, but we didn't have Xbox. Um, but they're glued on their Xbox. They're glued on the Internet. Um, parents have their own thing, right? Their parents are on their iPads doing their thing. Um, they'll shuttle the kids to soccer, shuttle them back, right? And that's kind of the whole day. Um, so getting involved in people has to be intentional, okay? It's got to be on purpose. And I think you have a lot more contact with outside people than you probably think you do, okay? But this contact is so very important. In Matthew 5, verse 13, starting with verse 13, um, uh, Jesus is... Um, teaching what we call the what we refer to as the Beatitudes, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about salt and light, right? And how we are to be um, in the world. And he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people need light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give and it gives light to everyone in the house. And I didn't really understand, right, being a, I was more of a city boy, and I didn't really understand this analogy for a long time until I read about salting meat, right, and understood what that really meant. And the short story, right, the short answer is you've got to get this salt worked into the meat, right? It's got to kind of soak in or penetrate, if you will, um, to inhibit the growth of bacteria throughout it, right? It's, it preserves it. And it takes about a 20 to 25% um, salt solution, right, to be effective. It's got to be at least that much to kill the bacteria. And one article I read summarized it as, um, the key to salting meat is the process of diffusion. The tendency for substances to disperse through another substance until equally, equilibrium is reached, right? In other words, it finds its natural balance with the meat, the salt and the meat. And it's the same way with people, right? You can't just work on the surface, right? You've got to get down into the meat of people. You've got to kind of get work your way down into the center of that. And that involves um, getting involved with people. And trust me, getting involved with people out there, I mean, you guys are scary enough. They're really scary, okay? There's some strange people out there, right? We're actually, some of them probably, depending on who you ask. But it's, for a long time, I just, I struggled with how much, right? Because we are supposed to keep separate from the world, right, and be part of it. And what does that balance mean, right? It's all about balance. It's all about getting the right mix. And when you get down with people in their lives, right, and some people are pretty low in life um, in the sense of their, the way they think, the way they act, 
Um, they don't always act the way that we're comfortable with. They don't always make decisions that we're comfortable with. They don't live lifestyles that we're comfortable with. Um, but that's why they need us, right? That's why they need Jesus Christ, is because they are doing the wrong things. And it just feels, it's uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, I'll just, it's just that. Um, it's just uncomfortable. And to have to get down, quote-unquote, in the gutter, right, to lift somebody up out is not always pleasant. The Good Samaritan, right, in, the, in, the, in uh, as Jesus tells the story, the Good Samaritan um, saved uh, a man who was beset by robbers and left in a ditch. Well, he didn't stand up on the road and say, I'll help you, come on up out of the ditch, you know, get up here and let's go, you know, walk yourself to the end and I'll take care of you. He got down in the ditch, picked the guy up, and took him and carried him, right? Sometimes you just got to carry people along. And it's just so analogous, right, to people's sin and their condition in life that sometimes it's not enough just to say, well, come on, come here, I'll, I'll help you, right? Come to me and I'll help you. You got to sometimes get down in the ditch with them and pick them up. Now, it doesn't mean you need to lay in the ditch with them, right? That's the difference. That's the balance, right? But you've got to get down there with them and pull them out. And that takes getting to know people and making yourself vulnerable um, in a sense. So just like people, okay, remember we taught you are complete in Christ. He has made you perfect in uh, grace, right, and the gifts that he has given to you, right, how he has created you. Um, in that, you are perfect. And he is just the way you should be, and you're in just the place where God can use you because he can use you anywhere. Right? That's because he's God. He can do anything. Um, you don't have to worry about, am I in the right place? Am I where God wants me? God wants you to be willing, and then you're in the right place. Right? It doesn't matter. He's going to find somebody for you to help. Okay? But just like people, right? churches, too, are perfect in Christ as well. Um, they are perfect, and they have everything that they need to bring light to a dark world. Okay? Whether it's um, Milestone, whether it's Crest, whether it's First Baptist, McKinney, right? Every church, no matter their size, their personality, their character, is complete in Christ and has all of the gifts that they need to serve um, God's kingdom. In, um, and I'm not going to read the passage, but in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, is, is one of those examples, right? where Jesus teaches about the three stewards. And the three stewards, um, you know, was an example of being um, good managers of money, right, they, that they had been given while the master was away. And um, some one, uh, one did much better than the other two, and he was going to get more, right? Um, and it's not just about money, right? It's about talents. And if we as a church are wise with the gifts that God has bestowed upon us, right, and the abilities that he has given us and has grouped here, he's going to give us more responsibility, right? If we're good stewards with what God has given us, right, if we're willing to get out and share and to minister and to care and to, right, do the things that we need to do, he's going to give us more responsibility to do those things. What does that have to do with 1 Corinthians? So the church in Corinth had a problem um, with division. And um, I appreciate Shelby reading that passage earlier. That wasn't planned, but that was the, the perfect passage to read. And he 
he appealed to them to agree with one another that you would be of one mind and there would be no divisions among you and you would be perfectly unified. And he goes on to talk about how some people, right, followed Paul, some said they followed Cephas, some followed Apollos. And it's not, I mean, it's not surprising that people would attach themselves to strong leaders, okay? Um, I've always appreciated Peter right, in a lot of ways as I've read Scripture because Peter is, um, he must be a lost brother somewhere um, because he's the type that um, he would speak before he would think. Um, he would jump into a situation before he knew what really needed to be done and he understood what it was. Um, and then he would kind of uh, hide his mistakes by blaming other people. I, I can. <laughs> it sounds like me in some on some days, you know. I speak before I think. I jump into situations, want to solve them before I understand them, right? So he's got his own unique personality, right? Paul, likewise, um, or I should say, on the other hand, was more reasoned and intentional, right? Paul was very um, intellectual, analytical, right? Uh, very systematic. I mean, his plans had. Plans. If you read about his ministry trips. And then Apollos was from the city of Alexandria, and um, scholars believe that he was a scholar, right? He was very educated, um, very cosmopolitan uh, type of person. And so we tend to, as people, move in circles that we're comfortable with, right? And as people who have met, you know, as these men had gone through, these leaders of the church had gone through the church of Corinth and gotten to know some of the people, right? It's kind of natural that they would attract certain people who would think and feel and act kind of like them, right? Um, that's just kind of how the way that we are. And I think that, or part of the problem was, Paul says, some of those people attach themselves to church leaders in, as a way to advance their position or get more influence, right, within the church. And the problem was these leaders that they were attaching themselves to didn't want to have anything to do with their personal these other people's personal ambitions, right? That's not what it was about. Um, Paul writes in verse 13, he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Right? So going back to the start of or this section of verse 10, um, he encourages them to be perfectly united in mind and thought. How do we do that? It's where we can be really stubborn sometimes. Um, First of all, we have to have the same goals, right? If we're going to be perfectly united in thought and in mind, we have to have the same goals. Um, Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The goal is to show Christ to the world, right? If Christ wanted divisions and arguments, um, Sorry, if people wanted um, divisions and arguments, right, they can stick with the struggles that they move in now. That's not what people want, right? We have to be different than the world. We have to show ourselves to be um, living to a different pattern than the world does. Secondly, we can be of one mind and, and, and thought if the church is a place of safety, right, and protection. Um, it's tough out there. Right? It's tough being out there. And we should come here to be rested, to be uh, 
to reflect on the gospel and to recharge our, our not only physical but our spiritual batteries, right? This should be a place where we get encouraged and we get pumped up and we get excited to go out and go back out and do battle, right, for the rest of the week. And third, we got to remember that it's not about us, right? It's about Jesus Christ. And recently I've done a kind of a, a thought exercise over the last couple of years that's been kind of interesting. Um, and I thought, I've, I've tried to think to myself, okay, McKinney is a green field um, uh, of evangelism, right? There's no churches here. And Paul comes into town and starts preaching. Old downtown, right? He's on the corner. He's preaching. And he converts 20 or 30 people, right, over the course of several months. And he gets them together, and he says, okay, um, I've been teaching you, and uh, but I've got to go on to the next city, right? Dallas is, oh, they really need me, right? I've got to get to Dallas. And um, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to remember to meet weekly, study scripture, sing praises to God, right? All great things. Um, make sure you give offerings for the poor and for the widows and right to take care of people in need um, and have at it, right? And he leaves. What would they do? What would those weekly gatherings look like? It wouldn't look like this. It wouldn't look like that. I mean, not, I mean, what we have is modern church, not this church. I mean, what we have constructed as a site is modern church. I guarantee you they wouldn't think of this right out of the box, right? It doesn't make it bad. It's just, it's a thought exercise, right? What are the people in the community, what would they think of if they wanted to spend time with God and with each other, learning about what he wrote and singing songs and doing all the things that we do? What would that look like? And it's just been kind of a fun exercise in my head to kind of go through. But it's about building bridges, right, lastly. It's about building bridges to the outside world. And I want to read verses um, from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 20, 18 through 20, sorry. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. The gospel is contrary to everything that we think is important and that we think is, um, and that the world, I'm sorry, that the world thinks is important. Wisdom, power, influence, they're all foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. Um, So why do we cling to those things of the world? Right? I don't care how good-looking you are. I don't care how smart, how rich, powerful, or influential you are. Right? You were chosen in spite of those things, not because of them. Reading on with verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us 
wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? It doesn't matter who you are in the world or how you're seen by the world. It matters who you are in Christ, and you are perfect. You don't need status or influence or power, and these are the things that the world rushes after and fights over. And what you are is so much more. We went through a period in the church in the 80s. I I started in ministry, um, started getting involved in volunteer ministry in the late 80s and um, had my first associate position um, a couple of years after that, a few years after that. And at the time, right, we were really focused on how to grow the church, right? Because we were realizing that from the 60s and the 70s on, right, the church had kind of stagnated in America or had begun to. And we were trying to figure out, right, everybody was trying to figure out how to fix that. And that was the time when, um, right, you started hearing about Willow Creek in Chicago, um, Saddleback in um, uh, California, um, Crystal Cathedral in California, right, the first of what we call now the mega churches, right, these huge places. And it was really all about copying their methods and their processes, right? Everybody wanted to learn, well, how do you do this? Well, how do you greet visitors? Well, how do you, you know, do these other things? And trying to emulate, right, trying to copy that, right, as a way to attract people. And processes are important. I'm big on processes, right? and want to make sure things work smoothly and, and they, you get the right outcomes. But it missed, in a lot of ways, the point. The point was that these churches didn't grow because of their processes. They didn't grow because of these other things, right, that churches could copy. These big churches came about because people started sharing gospel with their neighborhood, right? It started as three or four people just getting out and sharing Jesus whenever they could and getting other people to come join a Bible study. Really, all these mega churches started like that, okay? And those people from the neighborhood brought in their likes and their dislikes and their opinions and their their hurts and their world their lively worldly lives. And the church formed around those people, right, and continues to adapt to them and to that culture that they're ministering to. And see, that's that's the difference is as they bring these people in, right, rather than telling them they have to conform to um, the church's way of thinking, the church kind of thinks, well, how can we help them, right, without sacrificing the gospel, obviously, right? The gospel is the constant, is the rock, is the um, no, never changing, right, that the church is built on. Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, as you'll, go, as you'll see as we go through this series, they were struggling with a lot of things, a lot of cultural things, right? And they were still clinging and hanging on to the things that they were in their own life and the things that they thought were important in that life. And Paul was telling them, look, you got to put that away, right? It's not about being popular. It's not about being successful. It's not about who you can name drop, right? It's about being one body in Jesus Christ. It's about taking a grace of foundation and building on it with your gifts and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody who needs it, which is everybody, right? And he's trying to emphasize to them that the way that you are unified, the way that you maintain balance in your life is by focusing on that, 
on Jesus Christ, right, as being first and foremost, right? Anybody disagree? Amens all around? Amen. We've talked about a lot of different things, right? And we've talked about change, right, as the one constant in life, because it is, right? We're, we're living a life of sin, um, uh, of a life, a, a sinful world that is constantly decaying, and so change happens, right? Because of that, change always happens. Um, change to us, change around us, um, and there's nothing we can do about it. But we can focus on Jesus Christ as that rock. We can focus on the never-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can focus on the perfection that he has made in us so that we can serve him, right, while the time that we have in this world. All right, um, let's pray. Father, I, um, I thank you for the time that you've given us to share this morning in your word. I pray that um, your spirit is, um, that we're open to your spirit and you're moving in our lives. Father, you are a great and wonderful God. You are uh, a loving God, and you have blessed us with every gift that we could possibly need. I pray that we can use them um, to your benefit and to your glory in all things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.